Darius, what's up, bro? What's up, man? How you doing, Yavison? I'm uh, I'm magical. It's a Monday. I just drove nine hours on my way back from DC, so Ugh. I'm super tired. I understand uh, that. Anyway, so Darius Moore, one of my good buddies, somebody I've known for several years at this point, somebody who's just a fun person to talk to. Uh, most people listening have no idea who you are, so give us a, a <laughs> ten thousand foot view of Darius. So I am originally from Jackson, Tennessee, uh, Thriving Metropolis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I am engaged to my lovely fiance. Of uh, we've been together for more long, longer than I want to say, uh, seven years. Um, we have a daughter, Lacey. My fiance's name is Felicia. And so um, I actually currently work as a partnership manager for a local nonprofit that works with the public schools here in Nashville called Pencil. Um, love the work that I do there, um, support the schools in my area and, and really all across the district. So Awesome. Awesome. So how'd you get uh, connected with Pencil? So when I when I was uh, in my, my previous uh, work, I, the lady who I, who does the development work for me, um, her husband worked there for a number of years. And uh, whenever I was trying to figure out how I was going to transition into a new career, um, we sat down together and we just talked. Uh, he was just telling me about his background. I was telling him about mine and we were just kind of talking about you know our perspectives on things. And he told me about Pencil and he, he suggested it as a great place to uh, learn and grow, but also to make a, a, a big impact. I never worked in nonprofit space, never had any desire to work in nonprofit. Um, but once I once I interviewed and started working there, I, I realized how much of a uh, perfect fit it was. And so um, that's been uh, a year as of this month. Awesome. So, you know, Pencil, and I'm sure there's different organizations across the country that folks can relate to within their local, you know, metro areas. But mm-hmm. uh, for folks that don't know, you know, the the metro schools within Metro Nashville mm-hmm. don't have the reputation for necessarily the best schools mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. So there there's a lot of private school education that's really propagated in the community, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know y'all's mission overall, but I know the listener doesn't. And, and I know a lot of it has to do with involving the younger millennial and, and right outside of that generations within Nashville to encourage them to send their kids to public schools, to volunteer, to help with making that community better. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen since you've worked there um, in a community that you may have not been aware of? Uh, so that's a full uh, a multi-tiered answer uh, to, to that question. Um, so I, some of the things I've seen is just understanding that, uh, there are very unique challenges in working with a, a school system in a major city. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of business here. There's a lot of interest, uh, business interest, vested interest in um, the success or you know lack thereof of the public school system. And so there's a lot of people that have um, something to say about it mm-hmm. and they want to play a role in it. Um, and so it's just it's always a matter of just figuring out who's who's sitting at the table, who's involved in the conversation. But um, that that's really high level. And I think it starts to get way too. Well, that, I think it's more in the weeds. I think it starts to get way too convoluted when you you don't think about the the, the big high arcing picture of the purpose of public education here in Nashville, which is to serve students and, and provide a quality education for each and every um, you, all the youth in, in uh, Metro Nashville public schools. And so um, our work at, at pencil is really just to support 
um, those efforts to to provide a quality education for the school, the students in the schools here in Nashville. And, um, you know, regardless of what the challenges are, whether they be on a macro or micro level, uh, we always keep the, the students in mind in our in our work. Well, and I would add to that as someone who is pretty familiar with pencil at this point, there are a lot of people who want to give back and want to be involved mm-hmm. and, and want to volunteer, for example, Sure, but they don't know where to start. And you guys are like that facilitator. You, you're, you're that middleman that, that helps guide um, the direction that somebody may want to go into. And there's, you know, several organizations across the country that, that do that in their respective cities, but let's take it a step back. So I'm a public school product. You're a public school product. Indeed. Let's take it back to Jackson, Tennessee. JCM. What's up? <laughs> Class 03. Jackson. Okay. Jackson. We've got some Jackson city schools out yeah. here. Um, so let's go back to young Darius, sure. you know, middle school, high school, whatever it may be. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, et cetera. So I, I grew up in a, a two parent household. Um, both, both my mother and my father, uh, biological parents. Um, they had been together since they were in their early twenties, late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, um, had a, a child, my sister, uh, my oldest sister, uh, before she met my dad and, and, but my adopt, my sister was very, very young. And so, uh, my dad just, he came into it, you know, pretty open into the relationship and he and my mother got together. They dated for a while. And then my dad who joined the military straight out of high school, um, uh, got called out, uh, or got called into go to do a, um, uh, go to a certain station. I don't know if it was basic training or what it was, but he was stationed in Arkansas for uh, a couple months to a year or so. And during that time, uh, he realized that over the course of his dating, my mother, they had another child. And so, okay. <laughs> uh, a, a second child for my mom first for my dad. And so when he came back to town to, to visit, he found out that he had a son, my okay. bro- oldest brother. And so, so not you, not me, my <laughs> oldest brother. And so, uh, my oldest brother. And so, um, my dad is a very traditional guy. He actually grew up as uh, a, a semi orphan because his dad, and this is something I don't share very often other than kind of intimate settings. My grandfather killed my grandmother. Oh, wow. uh, my dad was very young. And so, um, you know, I don't like talking about it a whole lot just because it's personal, but, um, that kind of shaped the way my dad is. And so he's, he was always the opposite. He's the polar opposite of his father in terms of, I'm always going to be committed to my responsibilities and to my family and be the father and man that I'm supposed to be. Um, and so he stepped up once he realized he had obligations and told my mom, it's something he tells me all the time. He's t- he told her, and my mom shared this with me. Um, if you don't love me now, you'll learn to, Ooh, and okay. so, um, you know, I, I want to marry you. I want to be committed to you. I want to take care of our family. And so um, my mom accepted his, I guess, quasi proposal uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they got together. And so my dad was like I said, he was enlisted in the military and the Air Force. Um, and so they got married and they moved to his first station, uh, which was Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, Elmendorf Air Force Base. Wow. Talk about a culture shock. Indeed, indeed. So this is this is pre Darius. So yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, so we're talking about like this is BD as I like before Darius as I like to say. So we're talking about like nineteen seventies Alaska, nineteen eighties. So my 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 brother was born in nineteen eighty two, and so okay, mid eighties Alaska, mid eighties Alaska. And so my dad moved, my dad, my mom, and I'm saying that like I know what nineties Alaska is. (laughs) You know, do you know what two thousand? 
19 Alaska's like no idea. No, nobody knows. Yeah, a lot of mountains, a lot of sun. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so in Alaska, is it's, it's a lot more of a rural community, like throughout the big yeah. giant state. Um, their they, their biggest industry is oil, and you know they they it's just different there. And so you know when I was there, my parents were there. Um, they were there for about five years total. So they moved there, had me was there for two years. And my, by the time they moved to Alaska, they were married. And so, um, product of wedlock, um, whether, what, whatever that means. Um, and so they were married, had already built their family up. And when I came along and so we stayed there for two years, my dad. So you were born a, in Alaska. I was born in Alaska, Elmendorf Air Force Base, <laughs> Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm an Eskimo. That's, that's always my fun fact. Whenever I'm introducing myself to a group or I'm part of whatever, whatever deal and I, they have to say, Hey, what's the fun fact for you? It's like, I'm an Eskimo. And so I was <laughs> born in Alaska. Not a lot of people have that kind of claim to fame. So uh, born in Alaska. Uh, we stayed there for two years after I was born. And then my dad got another uh, commission or he was uh, asked to be stationed in North Carolina, uh, where I actually ended up growing up. So from the time of two to the time I was 12, when my dad retired in 96, uh, we were stationed in uh, uh, Fayetteville or Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay. And so, so um, how'd you end up in Jackson? So my dad and my mom's family are both originally from uh, Jackson and the surrounding county. So my dad's family is from kind of Timbuktu, um, West Tennessee, or Bolivar and Tune, which I love Bolivar and oh. Tune. Shout out, shout out to Bolivar and Tune. Uh, but um, it's kind of, most people don't know the area. It's a real rural area, kind of, um, you know, somewhat impoverished, but uh, not a lot of industry out there. And then my mom's family grew up in like the country part of Jackson, which is called Denmark. Not not Denmark, Sweden, or but Denmark, Tennessee. Mm. It's actually a place that's on the map. If you go downtown to the capital where they show you the full map of Tennessee, Denmark is on there. So shout out to Denmark. Um, so grew up in the, they grew up in the country. Um, so we, they all, all their family, extended family was there, still there in, uh, in Jackson. And so when my dad retired, the options, even though they were pretty broad, um, looking back at it, they decided the best place would be was Tennessee uh, where they had family and support. And so they moved, we moved back to Jackson after my dad retired from the military. And so mind you growing up in the military, it's a, it's a really colorful world. Uh, mm. Because you have so many different demographics, so many different cultures. Um, and when I was young, it just looked like a bunch of different colorful people, uh, you know, as, as a child. And so didn't really realize um, how impactful that was in terms of shaping my my narrative and my perspective of the world around me. And so um, I, I've always expected people of all colors and races and creeds uh, and socioeconomic b- backgrounds to all just kind of get along. Like I just, that's just what I grew up seeing. Like everybody, it all, and I don't know if that was shaped by the fact that we were in the military or if that was a byproduct of, uh, my upbringing where my mom and my dad were, my dad was, was always the, the one that was the provider. My mom was a stay at home mom for, uh, the majority of my early childhood. And so, um, my dad was always the provider, whether it was through the military or working once he got out of the military. And so, uh, my mom was always a, a stay-at-home mom, and so she always taught us, mm-hmm. you know, whether it meant, you know, we weren't homeschooled, but she taught us the core concepts of how to be a human. And so... Um, no way. Yeah, so like... You, you, <laughs> you weren't you, born knowing those? Crazy. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be a decent person before you can do anything in life. And so um, that that's kind of something that stuck with me in terms of um, you know, how I was brought up. My mom always taught us to be kind to people and, um, show love. I think that's the biggest thing is that she, you know, everything she did showed love in some capacity, whether it was God's love, 
friendship love, you know, family love, or just love for a stranger who you don't know. Um, and the, I think that's God's love. And so, uh, and I'm a believer, uh, firm, firm believer, definitely, definitely a Christian. And, um, so that, that was what I saw, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, kids, you know, I, I heard one of my cousins say it, uh, we, fortunately we had a cousin who, who passed and she was talking about how they were and how close they were. And one thing she said is that we just did what we saw, you know, her dad and her, her dad and her dad's brothers were always really close. And that's how I feel. Like I did what I saw, like I did what I was, I was exposed to in terms of, Hey, this is how you're supposed to treat people. Yeah. Like my mom was never a mean person. Like the only time I ever saw, this is funny. When only time I ever ever really saw my mom's wrath, outside of just like doing, you know, stupid, get, doing stupid stuff at home, was when people would like mistreat us at school. Mm. My mom was one of those moms that show up and show out if you mistreat her babies. Like Mama Bear Claws came out full force, but that was simply because. We knew right from wrong. So she knew that when she sent us out into the world, we weren't out here wilding out and doing uh, hooligan stuff. So she knew to expect us to be to carry a certain standard. So if, if we were out and somebody said we were doing something, you know, she's going to call them to the carpet about it. You know, you're not going to just just, you know, uh, defame my child without actually providing some type of you know empirical evidence to say, hey, this is what they actually are doing. This is what they did. And yeah. so. Nine times out of ten, with me and my brother, we usually were the knuckleheads acting up. But, yeah. um, but a lot of times there were there were situations where you know the the teacher just um, didn't take the time to understand the full situation. So my mom was always like, "Let's let's talk about it. Let's let's have it out." And so she was really a, a very involved parent. And so that's just kind of what I saw and what I was exposed to. And so um, that helped me help shape me as a uh, as a person to to better understand how to interact with people in the world and and not just my friends and my family, but just pe- strangers on the street. You know, you have to treat people right in order to be um, be uh, who God is, has designed us to be, which is is human and, and to to love and work with each other. Um, and so I, I think that's that was my my upbringing. So that kind of shaped my perspective on um, on how to deal with people. And, and then when I got to Tennessee, uh, like I said, I, I grew up in this world of color where it was all about, you know, it's the communal groups. organization. Yeah. So when I when I moved to Tennessee, it was a, a bit of a culture shock, which is 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 kind of crazy because you know North Carolina is still South, you know, and and you know people don't realize it's like, you know, it's 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 totally different state to state in the South. You know, people have a, a misconception. I think, especially people that aren't from the southeastern region, uh, have a misconception that all Southerners are a bit of the same. But we're, we're it's a lot of different subcultures within the 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 Southern culture. Yeah, I mean, within Tennessee, you've basically got three states. You got West Tennessee. Yeah. You got Middle Tennessee. Then you got East Tennessee. And yeah, then inside yeah, those, yeah, yeah, yeah. like inside West Tennessee, you've got for Memphis. Sure. For sure. Then you got the rest of West Tennessee. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, it's, it's different worlds. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I think it's a, a, a bit of a misnomer that even people within certain demographics or certain regional areas are the same, you know, and I, I think. So I, what, I, what, I, I mean, what shocked you about moving to Jackson, Tennessee at 13? How black and white it was. Oh, it's hell of black. And I, I didn't realize I, I didn't realize what I didn't realize. Like yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know that what I was experiencing was not the norm. Like people of different colors and creeds and, um, you know, racial backgrounds and social economic, like they just don't interact and, and get along. Like it's not a thing. You know, what I what I saw, what I saw growing up was like, this is just what it is. It's the expectation. And then when I, we moved to, to Jackson, it was just like, no, I'm over here. You over there. Like, don't come in my space in terms of the, the racial divide. It was like black, black people over here, white people over here, and then everybody else there in their own little subset. And so it just wasn't, you know, 
we we were cordial, as is the case with being in, in the South, being Southern hospitality. We're cordial, but we were separated. Yeah. You know, even though that's the Jim Crow era had had, you know, many years since passed. But, you know, those those residual effects still uh, lingered in, in the, the, the the culture uh, where I grew up in, in Jackson. And so, um, you know, just black people are on one side and white people are on the other side. They come together for certain causes, i.e. church and different things going on in the community, but they exist in separate planes. And so that was a really difficult concept to, to grasp as a young person, as a, uh, a sixth grader, uh, yeah. to, to, to understand like why, or, and even, even in the, the, the African American community, which I'm a part of, cause I'm black by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was, it was really weird because it's like, you know, I'm I'm very articulate, but that's that's by virtue of how I was raised. You know, I was grew I grew up in the military, and and even though it's we were stationed in North Carolina, it's not very deeply southern. Yeah. You know, and so it, it was it was you know Vietnam. Shout out to Vietnam. You know, it it was it's it was a, a melting pot of different people, and so the culture, the dialect was very. Um, I feel like was very robust, and so when I moved to Tennessee, I was articulate. You know, I, I talk well and I didn't, you know, I didn't use a whole lot of slang. My dad didn't let me use a whole lot of slang. I couldn't use the N word. That was super duper no, no. And so, you know, when I came to Tennessee people was like, even in the black community, it was like, talk whiter. Like, you know, what's oh, wrong with yeah. you? You know, like, you know, where, you know, where are you from? Or who's your people? And I'm like, my people are your people or my people are, you know, the people who, you know, like, yeah. this is my family. You know, I'm just, I'm just the, the cousin from out of town. And so, you know, I, for a long time, I was treated like the cousin from out of town. I, you know, I heard on one of your other podcasts, uh, one of your other guests was talking about being bullied. You know, I, I was bullied to some degree in terms of, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like something was wrong with me. And, and you know, for a while, I, I actually thought, you know, is there something wrong with me? But then, you know, my mom was a firm, you know, advocate for being an individual and accepting the 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 way that God has designed you to be. And so, uh, you know, i I tried to dumb it down. So I remember in seventh grade being uh, just really kind of rebelling, acting up in class and trying to get sent out and just, you know, just trying to act out a little bit because I didn't want to be who I was in sixth grade. Mm. And so um, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to act up. I wanted to be kind of cool. And, you know, I thought that was a th- the thing to do. And I just was it's been a knucklehead. And I mean, I, I feel like at some point my mom or my dad, I don't even really remember there. There wasn't a specific incident. Uh, incidents where either one of them just sat down and talked to me, but it was just like, you can't do this. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in church. I grew up uh, uh, really deeply Pentecostal. Um, so for you, you all listeners who don't know um, kind of how it is in the Pentecostal community, uh, it's, you know, women wear dresses and have long hair, no makeup. It's, it's really, really non-secular and the men can't wear shorts. Um, it was just, it was, it was when I growing up, it was just really, it was really different. And I, it was difficult for me to spend time with other, other kids outside of my family uh, because of the way, uh, way we were raised. Whereas like you go into church, yeah. you go to church, uh, Pardon mon- the holiness mon- movement. Yeah. Mon- Monday, maximum man, Tuesday's prayer, Wednesday's Bible class, Thursday's, um, whatever group. And then Friday's youth group. And then Saturday's choir practice and then Sunday's church. And then we do it all over again. So it was yeah. like seven days of church. And it's like, you know, was the so, church of God? No, this is Pentecostal. I was, you grew up UPC. Okay. And so, uh, um, you know, shout out to the UPC folks out there. I, 
I much respect and appreciation for growing up the way I did. And I, I don't, I wouldn't take it back for the world because it helped shape me, give me some uh, really core, deeply core um, moral years. compass. And, and, uh, and my, my moral compass is, I, I feel like is always pointing in the direction it's supposed to go. I don't always listen to it. Sometimes I get off the way with path, but I feel like a lot of that, those, those uh, core uh, fundamentals were shaped in the, being in the UPC and growing up that way. So um, I have a much appreciation, but, but back to my point, I think that kind of um, that kind of shaped uh, shaped the way I was in terms of socially. Yeah, I wasn't very social uh, outside of church, and uh, usually like staying home. I was real immature for a long time in terms of um, you know I wanted to watch cartoons and play with toys, and you know I'm almost going on thirteen, and it's like you know at some point you have to get out there and do stuff, and so I, that my development was was slightly delayed because of that experience I feel like in terms of being um, An social outsider, yeah. yeah and so um you know th- those are those are dynamics that you did de- de- when you deal with as a as a young person especially in middle school they can be difficult in terms of you building relationships and so it took a while it took yeah. a while for me to kind of people to to open up to me and me to open up to people and connect um, and so I, I think that's kind of why now connectivity is, is super duper important and relevant to me. But um, but yeah, that's that's what I say. I mean, when I say black and white and, and uh, a bit of a culture shock, because it, it was a less less about, you know, the communal nature of relationships and, and being growing up and more about um, what the color of your skin was. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Memphis and went to school in Tennessee. Shout out to Memphis. Shout out to Memphis. Shelby County. What's up, though? Shelby County. Still got Shelby County tax. Still registered <laughs> there. Um, so I went to Knoxville. And, you know, Knoxville is about as white as white bread. Mm-hmm. Like the, White as white can be. Yeah. There's like, it's out in the mountains. There was no, I mean, but for historical reasons, I think about it, you're in the mountains. Yeah. Um, from a, the areas of the United States where there's large black populations is where you could have plantations. You could grow mm-hmm. Crops. Mm. So Mississippi, Alabama, Southern Alabama, into middle Georgia. Yeah. yeah. The Georgia, like if you look at a, 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 a map of the United States mm-hmm. from a topographical standpoint, you'll see it. And it now corresponded to an, to an ethnic makeup of the United For States. Sure. So East Tennessee was actually a union stronghold. The Confederacy had to um, had to actually uh, go into East Tennessee and occupy it mm-hmm. because they were going to separate from um, from Tennessee because there was no. Well, from a slavery standpoint, there was no interest in seceding. So again, uh, sorry for the historical diatribe, but <laughs> for, the, for those who don't know, Joe is uh, Yavisa is a, a huge history buff, and he's uh he's he's about that history life. Well, I was about to say anybody who's <laughs> listening to the podcast should know, probably knows about it. But anyway, so this is probably my junior year of college, and again, uh-huh. I'm living in Knoxville. And I lived there throughout the year, and um, I've gone from being in a city that's predominantly black, Memphis, uh-huh. to a city that's overwhelmingly white it's a bizarre um, world and i remember I, it was summertime it was hot it was hot as hell it was just memphis and i had to go to the bank for something and i went to first tennessee and i walked in and this is the bank where my family goes all the time like this specific branch like people know who i am there mm-hmm. i walk in and i look at the tellers and every single teller is black hmm. and i remember that was the first time where i genuinely stopped myself and be like why am i not whoa, I'm not used to this anymore. Like what's, what this is really throwing me off. Mm-hmm. And it, it really made me take a step backwards and say, Ooh, okay. I I need to like re-engage my brain and more actively think about like where I am, what I'm doing, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But 
Um, and, and that's a little different than, than what you mentioned, but yeah, it's, it, it's very black and white out there. It's very obviously from a race standpoint, but also from like a life standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to go back to a quote that you said that your dad told your mom, if you don't love me now, you'll learn to, mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel about that quote as a grown man now looking back at it? I appreciate it. Um, I, I, I know for me, uh, so just, just to put it in context. So, uh, when my dad asked my mom to marry him, it was more, this is my obligation more so than, Hey, I'm crazy, passionate in love with you. I don't doubt that he was in love with her. He wouldn't ask her to marry him. And from our conversations about him and my dad's really, and my mom are both super transparent about how they, they were coming up. And when they, they first started dating, um, it was just like, this is, this is what I need to do. And a byproduct of me needing to do is me needing to do it is to get your okay. And my, my getting your okay means, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. Um, and you may not be comfortable with it yet, but I'm, I'm, I guarantee you, I'll help you to be comfortable. And so it was more, instead of it being a mandate, it was, uh, uh, Hey, this is what the vision is. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you might not be comfortable with this situation, but at some point you're going to really, um, appreciate the fact that we did it. So what kind of marriage are your parents still alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, Kenneth and Cornelius, my, 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 my parents. So what kind of marriage do they have today? Um, so, so it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. And that's a, that's a, a question I love talking about because my parents have been married for, uh, my brother born in 82. So almost ooh, 30 plus years. It's been a long time. So it's almost 40. Yeah. 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 So I, ugh, I didn't even really think about that. Cause they had the 30, I remember they had their 30th anniversary cause they went back to North Carolina, but I guess it's been a long time now, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're passionately in love. I, I can honestly say I can never remember. And that's not to say they didn't never remember my parents having a real argument. They had some disputes and, you know, some discussions. Um, I think most of those are probably behind closed doors when I didn't witness them, but um, never really remember my parents arguing. They've always gotten along. And uh, I, and I say getting along, they've always been crazy about each other. It's kind of gross. So, so time but. out. I want, before you like keep going, I want to pinpoint on that. Yeah. So remember the quote your dad said? Yeah. Okay. And now you're telling me that they're crazy about each other. So I think, so I think within our generation, there's this misnomer that, you know, marriage, that you're supposed to feel about the person you married the same way you felt about them when you met them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a load of crap. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll use myself as an example. Um, and I was telling, which shout out to James. He just uh, he just got engaged, James Gilreath. So mm-hmm. I was telling him, I guess maybe a week ago, a week and a half ago, after he got engaged, that, and he was already feeling this, like the moment your girlfriend turns into your fiance, and you probably get this as mm-hmm. well, it's a different feeling. Mm-hmm. And the moment she goes from your fiance <laughs> oh, to your wife, yeah. Is another feeling. And then my dad told me, he said, just wait until she goes from your wife to the mother of your child. Yeah. It is an evolution. Yeah. And feeling if I would be really disappointed if I felt about my wife the same way I felt about her when I first met her. Mm. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I I would find that really sad because I think my love is so much deeper for her. And I would say most of my friends who are in good relationships, who are in good marriages, the love is so much more mature and deeper. And and you can have moments of that, like crazy passion, oh, puppy dog, bull crap. But mm-hmm. um, really what it comes down to is I, I just think the 
the the the true connection two human beings can build is just so much greater than any superficial dopamine kick that we can we can try <laughs> to replicate. I don't know, but I feel like our pe- like our generation that's what we're looking for. That's why yeah. everybody's constantly looking for the next big thing. Yeah, yeah nobody's yeah. willing to actually like sit down and say, "Hey, no, Be this committed. is a person I want to build a life with." Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, am I crazy? No, I I I would agree. I would agree in large part to to, to much of what you said, but I, I will also say there are um, relationships, there are um, relationships that I've seen, marriages that I've seen that um, they've been crazy about each other from the start. And I, I will say that you know I think everything just like just like everything else in life, there's there's levels to this, and so there's different types, there's different things for different people. So sometimes people go into relationships and they're they're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and they love it and they stay on that track i think you know i, I, I think love is an evolving thing mm-hmm. um and i think it, it it grows and manifests into different forms um but i also think that you can have a, a really powerful um baseline of love that that i'm crazy about you and and uh you're crazy about me and we we, we just like you're my crush, I'm your crush, and we just keep this in the stays. I, I'll say my my best friend. Uh, shout out to Al uh, Al Versa, my one of my best friends in in the and my brother uh, in, the, in the world. Um, but him and his wife were like that, you know. Yeah. And it, they they've yeah they've they've gone through I'm, I'm sure plenty of things that I probably would never know about. But um, their love is one that I would say is reflective of that, where it's they they were she was crazy about him. And when he found out that who she was and that, you know, she was interested, he was crazy about her and they've been crazy about each other ever since. Yeah. They have had a marriage. They've gone from, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend to fiancés to husband and wife to mother and father um, to working on and on their own business. But I think through all of that, the baseline of, and the, the core of their love is the same. Um, they, they've added levels to it and layers to it. It's just like who you are internally is the same. You don't, you, you may, you may grow and evolve and, um, get better and learn more, but the baseline is at some point, the, the way we are and how we do, we learn and we develop it, it stops. We may add to it, yeah. but there's no, there's nothing necessarily new or changing or evolving in our brain that, 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 that is going to keep, keep coming. So we may learn more and may acquire more information, but, we may not necessarily grow a new part of our brain. So I feel like in, in, in the context of love, sometimes love can be something that's, um, that's the same, but, but has more layers to it. And so it's added on. And so it's just like, it's it's almost like a seed, this planet, it grows into a beautiful plant, but it's still the seed. It just has, has grown to something bigger and better. That's a really good analogy. It's still a seed, but it's grown. And I was more so talking about just the infatuation people seem to. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I agree with. I would a hundred percent say that um, the infatuation that people chase so uh, uh, <laughs> relentlessly, it's kind of. I think it gets kind of ridiculous sometimes because, like you said, the way our parents grew up is like, I, I'm gonna marry you, you gonna marry me, we gonna have a family, we gonna raise these kids, we gonna have a good life, and that's just gonna be what it is. We'll be happy along the way. Yeah. And so, um, I, I think you know, and our parents made it work. You know, our, our parents and their parents and our great great grandparents they made it work. And I will say that I, I I don't think that there's one way to love. Um, I think that there there are 
of various ways to love. There's various forms of love, but there's also various ways to love. And I think you can you can love somebody uh, and it, it, it grow into something bigger and better. Um, I, I feel like my parents have been that. They've shown me the example. Um, you know, I was crazy about Felicia when I first met her and, you know, we've gone through our different things, but, you know, that's the love that that's grown. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't sweethearts or, uh, madly in love with each other from, uh, from the, the get, but we've grown to something that's, that I think is, is wonderful. And, um, you know, I, I plan to be with her to turn to infinity and eternity and beyond. Um, but it, it's grown into what it is. Um, like you said, it didn't, it didn't start out this way. It didn't, you know, it, it, like you, like I say, it's levels to this, you know, it, you know, you may not get to, um, what you see on TV or what you, you know, you, you fictionalize is, Hey, this is what I want my relationship to be, but your relationship can still be even more spectacular in a different kind of way. You know, I feel like if you can, you can find somebody, connect to them and spend your life with them, um, day and night, night and day, uh, and, and be comfortable with who they are and they be comfortable with who you are to the point where you complete each other or you're able to complement each other. I think that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And then add, you know, um, children to that and to raise children to become adults and human beings that do good things and, and, and are productive citizens in the world and go on to make even more relationships. I think it's just a, it's just like a, a like a, a family tree, you know, you just keep, there's just more branches that keep getting added to that initial seed. And I think, um, I think people fail to realize that a, a, a seed doesn't grow into a tree overnight. You know, you have to give it time to be watered and nurtured. You have to water and, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, well, well, I mean, you have to give it time to be watered as well, because, yeah. you know, you can water a, a plant a bunch over the course of a day and end up killing the plant because you don't flood it. Bless you. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's just you have to understand that um, it takes time and you have to you have to allow the environment and cultivate the environment, not just the plant itself in the ground, but cultivate the environment around your love and let it bloom and blossom into what it's ultimately designed to be. Mm. So what do you think? you've uh, blossomed into over the last several years, because I know, you know, with your relationship with Felicia, it's been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. You you got Mm -hmm. engaged. You became an insta dad (laughs) as well. Um, You know, talk about Darius seven years ago to Darius now. I mean, what, what's, what's the biggest evolution? Uh, Maturity. Um, I I would say maturity and vision. Um, I, you know, when I was when I was younger, and this is something, and I know we'll get to it at some point in the podcast, asking me about uh, what I what I would say to the younger me. When I was younger, um, you know, I I I I, I was a uh, very unfocused, and I, I talked, I alluded to it earlier about maturity, and so it took a little while for me to get mature and to, to kind of grow up a little bit. Even into you know, I wasn't playing with toys and watching cartoons, but even into going into high school and then getting to uh, to college, you know, it just took me a while. And so um, I, I think it was just it just, you know, growing up and having vision to understand, like, at some point you have to have a focus. You have to have something that you, you know, uh, Franklin Covey, the, you know, the, the seven habits of highly effective people thinking with the end in mind. So you have to have something ultimately that you're working towards. And so if you don't have something that you're ultimately working towards, you'll be wayward. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know the exact verse, but, you know, it, where it says you you've it, from the Bible where it says you've blown around with every wind of doctrine. And so, you know, different things can sway you in different ways and make you feel like you're a different kind of person. If you're not set on your vision, and if you don't know where you're going. And so, you know, seven years ago, I didn't know, 
I just, you know, I was just out living life. You didn't have life. an end in mind. No, I, I was just living life. I mean, I, I remember, I remember how how devastating I, how devastated I was to have to move back to Jackson. I say have to because that's how I felt. I always wanted to get out of Jackson, and so when I had to move back, I was like, "This is terrible." Because I, I put myself in a position where I had to financially and just in general, I needed to move back and hit the reset button. And I remember moving back, thinking like, "I can't wait to get out of here." Like it was just like, "I, I can't wait to get out of here." And so I, I was fast paced and trying to get through, trying to figure out the next opportunity to get out. And over the course of that early time, those early stages, I met Felicia and, you know, and in turn, I met Lacey, my daughter. And so, um, you know, they just they shed a different light on what what my world was and what it could be. And when I say that, I mean, you know, I didn't realize what I was doing was was detrimental to who I could be. You know, me sitting around taking whatever opportunities in, in terms of jobs and um, just kind of having no real plan, of course, of action to get to where I ultimately wanted to be and not really knowing where I want to be uh, was detrimental to who I could be um, and, and my potential. And so um, Felicia helped me to realize that. And, you know, Lacey helped me to to uh, have purpose and fire behind doing it because I had to be a father. Yeah. Um, and so um, my dad showed me that example. My sister uh, was not his own, but he raised her as if she was. She's the only father. Uh, he's the only father that she ever really knew. Um, she knew her biological father, but they you know, they didn't have the type of relationship that she has with my dad. That's her dad. She don't call him Ken. She calls him dad. You know, and I I feel that same way. And I felt that same onus when, you know, when I realized what type of situation I was in in terms of the relationship. And I have an expectation. I haven't always been the best father and I, I don't proclaim to be and I don't proclaim to have the secret sauce, but I understand my obligation is to stay there and be present and to um, to represent a positive role, 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 male role model to Lacey. And so um, that that helped me to have a have a better perspective. And so seven years ago, before that happened, um, I didn't. And I just I was comfortable with just being Darius and just doing whatever Darius does, which nobody knows. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. a crapshoot. Like, what, what are you going to be doing? Like, what do you do now? I was like, I don't know. You know, but having a focus. Um, and so that, you know, some of the the uh, professional risks that I've taken over the years have been by virtue of understanding that I have a family and I need to provide for them and I need to create some type of generational legacy. And so um, that's shaped that shaped my decision making and that wouldn't have been possible I, I'm sure of without you know me meeting Felicia and and uh, having the privilege of of raising Lacey. Hmm. So what what is your purpose? Um to fulfill God's calling on my life, which is um I don't know. It's to be determined. Um, I think, I think, I think indefinitely and what it, what it has been and what it always will be is just to, um, to show love, um, in the right way and to, to help people in some capacity. Um, I've done a lot of different things in my life, you know, had a lot of different career opportunities. I had a lot of different types of relationships, but I hope, I would hope that everybody that I've encountered over the course of my lifetime, um, feels better about what their life experience is by virtue of having met me and interacted with me in a significant way. And so, um, you know, I feel like my purpose and my calling is ultimately to serve people. Um, I feel like everybody's purpose in some degree is in some capacity is to help their person next door to them. Um, we, we didn't, we weren't designed for this, this life and to be on this earth alone or we would be. Uh, we're not we're not singular individuals. We may isolate ourselves, but we're not singular individuals. And so um, I think we're, we've designed we're designed to be a collective in a communal, a communal uh, ecosystem. 
um, that works and interacts with each other to benefit each other. And so I think that's part of my purpose is, is helping to shed light on that. And like I said, just to show love and um, in all its capacities, I talked about the different types of love. And I, I feel like um, I've been designed and equipped to be able to go to different spaces and to emphasize love just by virtue of spending time and connecting with people and being present. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's one hell of an answer. I'll give you that much. <laughs> well, I'm, and you know we're coming up on time, but all right, here you go. One thing, you go back to 18-year-old you, knowing all that you know <laughs> and knowing all that you know about yourself. Wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, <laughs> living in Jackson, Tennessee. What up, though? Thriving Metropolis. It's 98 degrees outside. feels like 120 because of the humidity. <laughs> June or something. What do you June of two thousand three? What do you What do you tell yourself? Um, be relentless. Um, attack every day with vigor. Um, be passionate about everything you do. Um, I, I don't like to be be negative, but I would say don't be lazy. You know, be be uh, maximize your time and um, more than maximize your time and and use your time wisely. Maximize your moments. So for every opportunity that you're given, for every instance that you have. Um, take advantage of that that ends, that moment and and build meaningful relationships that can benefit you long term and um just just always have a have a plan you know I, I I think that's the biggest thing I would tell myself is you know know what you want to do next and know what you want to do long term and really have a plan and course of action um uh in which to get there. I love it. Be relentless for sure. Huh. Well, there is. Thanks, man. I'm glad you came. You're welcome. This, Pleasure. Uh, Pleasure is mine. This is very enjoyable. Um, obviously, I'll put your like contact info and all that good stuff, and I'll put the pencil website in sure. the description. So if you want to check out pencil and see how you can get involved or donate or uh, find a similar organization in your own community, you know, uh, children always need some sort of help mm-hmm. uh, in every community. Um, but you know, as always, for anybody wants to get a hold of us or suggest somebody to interview millennial manhood CIP at Gmail, uh, any constructive criticism, keyword constructive. Don't just complain. You got to <laughs> offer a solution. Nobody likes people who just complain. It's a waste of time. Uh, outside of that, we look forward to talking to you guys again. 